91.7 FM here in Crosstown Concourse in the heart of Midtown Memphis. And each week we get to have conversations with the ways that, that discuss the ways that people of all faith backgrounds are creating a world that is more just, more kind and letting their faith inform the way that their communities are engaged. And this week, I am delighted to have Mia Henley from Creative Aging Memphis on the show with me. And we're going to talk to her in a little bit about the work of Creative Aging and ways that people who are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s in Memphis are tapping into that creative side of themselves that's within each and every one of us. But first, we'll talk about the saint of the day. And actually, yesterday was a time when we were remembering the life of Edith Stein in our liturgical calendar. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about her because she is someone who I did not know very much about, but I am for sure going to be following up and following down the rabbit hole of learning about more about Christian mysticism and Edith Stein because I just I can't wait to tell you about her. Edith Stein is more known as Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, and she was a philosopher and a monastic who died in 1942. She was born into a Jewish family in Breslau, Germany in 1891. And although her family was religiously observant, she was not. She actually was rejecting of all sort of monastic, or not monastic, uh, monotheistic thought around the age of 14. She was a brilliant philosopher, even from a young a, a young age. She was the youngest of 11 children. And even from her youth, she was a shining star at school and within her family. She was a brilliant philosopher. And as she got older, she studied with Edmund Husserl and received her doctorate at the age of 25. And actually, a lot in my research, I realized that a lot of the things that Edmund Husserl was and is remembered for probably as his protege. She supported him and helped him in a lot of ways that students typically do when they're studying under you know, a great master. But when she was up for her doctorate and some teaching positions, because of her gender and because of her being Jewish, even Husserl could not, he commended her completely for her cognitive aptitude and her, but, but, could not recommend her because of her gender, which, wow. 
She received her doctorate at the age of 25, and even after having interrupted her studies to serve as a nurse during the First World War, she subsequently taught at the University of Freiburg. She became a Christian in the year 1921 after encountering the autobiography of Teresa of Avila, who is a Christian mystic who is the you know founding person of Carmelite thought, and she was baptized the following year. And although she immediately felt drawn to the monastic life and the Carmelite Christian community, she was dissuaded by her spiritual advisors from pursuing a monastic vocation so soon after her baptism. Instead, she spent several years teaching at a Catholic school and doing intensive study of Catholic philosophy and theology, particularly that of Thomas Aquinas. And she wrote extensively about gender and about how there is like a distinct flavor of the way women the, the female experience and how that informs a Christian experience. In 1933, she was forced to leave her teaching position as a result of the anti-Semitic policies of the German Nazi government, and thus she entered a Carmelite community in Cologne where she took the name Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, and even during her life as a nun, she continued to produce philosophical works, which is what she had been doing the whole time. She was first and foremost a philosopher, and she went through the, the, the rigor and the discipline that she maintained was, I would say, in my probably essential to her, the kind of person who, if you stifle their ability to think and dissect what it means, what the human experience is and how that intersects with philosophy, she couldn't thrive if she wasn't writing and thinking. But in an effort to protect both Edith and her sister Rosa, who had also converted to Christianity and entered the convent from the Nazis, the nuns transferred both of them to a convent in the Netherlands. And even here, however, they were not safe after the Nazi invasion of the Netherlands. In July of 1942, the Dutch Bishops' Conference issued a statement condemning Nazi racism as incompatible with Christianity, which was read in every parish church. And in retaliation, the Nazis ordered the arrest of 243 Dutch Christians of Jewish origin, including both Edith and her sister Rosa, and both sisters were killed in the gas chamber of Auschwitz within days of their arrest. Back in 1933, Edith had written forcefully to the Pope, beseeching him to condemn the actions of the Nazi government. She wrote, Everything that happened and continues to happen on a daily basis originates with the government that calls itself, quote, Christian. For weeks, not only Jews, but also thousands of faithful Catholics in Germany and, I believe, all over the world have been waiting and hoping for the Church of Christ to raise its voice to put a stop to this abuse of Christ's name. Is not this idolization of race and governmental power, which is being pounded into the public consciousness by the radio open heresy, isn't the effort to destroy Jewish blood an abuse of the holiest humanity of our Savior? 
of the Most Blessed Virgin and the Apostles? Is not all this diametrically opposed to the conduct of our Lord and Savior, who even on the cross still prayed for his persecutors? And isn't this a black mark on the record of this holy year, which was intended to be a year of peace and reconciliation? We all who are faithful children of the church and who see the conditions in Germany with open eyes fear the worst for the prestige of the church if the silence continues any longer, end quote. But her letter received no response. Edith Stein was canonized by the Roman Catholic Church in the year 1998, and in the Episcopal tradition, we also honor her on our liturgical calendar on August the 9th of each year. I'll end with a prayer in honor of Edith Stein. Pour out your grace upon the church, O Lord, that like your servant, Edith Stein, we may always seek what is true, defend what is right, reprove what is evil, and forgive those who sin against us, even as your Son commanded, through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Hey, and we're back. This is Emily Austin from the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee, and you're listening to Faithfully Memphis. And this morning on the show, I am delighted to have on Mia Henley. Hey, Mia. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. Mia is the executive director of Creative Aging in Memphis, which is a nonprofit that you create creative opportunities, like actual creative opportunities, art-focused and creativity-focused activities for folks in their 70s, 80s, 90s in Memphis who are sort of exploring those opportunities that they may not have had in their youth and in their, you know, middle adulthoods. So, yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you. We love it. And more important, I think the people that participate with us love it too. And there are a lot of them. We, you know, creative aging, we... We have several programs, and they they each touch people's creativity and provide opportunities for community Mm -hmm. in different ways. And I know we're going to talk about that, but, you know, in 2022, we engaged seniors 36,000 times. So there's a lot of different ways that's happening. Yeah, it's incredible. But Mm -hmm. first, I want to ask you, like, how... Can you trace the line in your life that has led you to a place where, you know, you've been you've been in this position for seven years. You've Mm -hmm. been working at creative aging. Like Mm -hmm. what were the seeds in your early life that led you to where you are now? Mm -hmm. Well, service was always a big part of my family's culture Mm -hmm. and and my faith tradition. I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm Episcopal now, but. You know, doing things for people in need was just part of the program, mm-hmm. both in school and at home. 
And when I got a little bit older, I did, you know, volunteer work, this, that, and the other. But Mm -hmm. my professional career was in law. So I didn't start out in the nonprofit arena, but I was lucky enough to get into it first through a consulting career where we, my consulting company, Consilience Group, worked exclusively with nonprofit organizations, helping them do strategic planning and organizational development. So that was like a deep dive behind the scenes exposure Mm -hmm. as opposed to being a volunteer or a board member with a nonprofit I was on the inside yeah. of nonprofit organizations of all sizes and really beginning to understand over a period of about eight years what the challenges were that nonprofits faced with you know governance, with fundraising, with service delivery, et cetera. After doing that for a good amount of time, I really decided I don't want to just come in and help people find the solution. I want to be part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. So as a strategic planner, your job is to come in and guide and create pathways, but then the organization implements. You know, yeah. you leave and you go on to the next organization. Yeah. In the midst of, of all that strategic planning work, one of the organizations I worked with was Creative Aging and did a strategic plan for them. And several years later, when I was beginning my journey toward wanting to be inside a nonprofit permanently, mm-hmm. uh, Creative Aging just serendipitously, the the founder, Meryl Klein, was retiring. Yeah. And I saw it in the newspaper. Or it wasn't the newspaper. That's a very old fashioned term. It was on some website or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, looking for for a job. And so I called her and I said, Meryl, what's up? And she told me she was retiring and I said, I'd like to talk to you. Yeah. About the opening. So that's how I got into it. And and really older adults have been a big part of my life always grandparents were were really close and 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 I think too it goes beyond just older adults it it sort of links back to this general feeling that I have about justice and and the lack thereof so I'm I'm drawn to fixing things that don't feel just right right and unfortunately there 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 are probably a lot of areas where yeah I would love to work and 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 help and help do things that would improve the lives of other people. Older adults, however, are a group that is very overlooked. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the the word ageism is probably not, maybe I'd heard the word seven years ago, but it certainly wasn't a part of my daily thought. But it sure is. It sure is now. I feel like when I think about ageism, and when I hear that term, within the context that I am living in right now, a lot of times when I hear ageism, I think about, you know, people of a certain age being passed up for jobs or being discriminated against when it turned, I mean, not just like eliminated from a job process, like a job application process, but like, like the world, the the way that the job description is written, like they are less likely to have the skills that are in, that are being asked for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that that is just a, a, probably just a, a tip of a larger iceberg around ageism and how we tend to prioritize people of a certain age in all aspects of life, even past retirement, especially past retirement, right? Well, yes, absolutely. And, and, and really, if you, you know, step back from the, the work situation, because, because really older adults have a lot to offer in a work environment, that young people don't have. Right. Because, you know, 
you can there's teach, that little you, thing called experience. Uh, you can yeah. teach, you know, technical skills to people, but you you can't necessarily teach experience or wisdom. So, right. exactly. but, but setting that aside, I think that ageism is something that is a an attitude mm-hmm. that impacts the way people think about older adults in their life and and also how older adults can think about themselves. So you see it both ways. But what creative aging is really trying to do through our classes in particular, our studio mm-hmm. courses, which is just one of our three programs. But in those courses, we are teaching a can-do attitude as yeah. opposed to a can't-do. And I think society has a lot of can't-do around yeah. older adults. Right. Um, and, and we even catch ourselves doing it in creative, at creative aging. You know, when the, when the pandemic started, the idea that we would be teaching art classes on zoom Mm -hmm. was like what because but i will tell you what there is nothing like a few months of isolation to convince someone who is 65 or 75 or 85 yes yes ma'am i can do zoom i sure can and if i can't do it exactly right my son is going to come over you know my Mm -hmm. adult child will come over and turn it on for me but people figured all that stuff out and we taught hundreds and hundreds of hours of courses on zoom and i had wonderful volunteers from hutchison school who would drive the bags of art supplies around to drop them off on people's front doorstep so that they everyone had the same art supplies and everyone could do their class so i really think that people can do whatever you will allow them to do that's not just older people right that's that's a lot of people that's humanity that's right yeah so anyway we love being a part of helping older adults explore new ideas and aspects of creativity, something perhaps they they never did as a child or as a, a young adult, you know, and we were talking about this earlier in, in midlife, the comp, the busyness yeah. of raising a family, having a career, working with your own older parents, right. et cetera. People just don't always have time to exactly. explore yeah. these types of things. So, yeah. So talk a little bit about the program and how, and, and what y'all do for folks who may not have, have may have never heard of creative aging before and, right. and just this vast network of, of classes and things that y'all are offering throughout right. Shelby County, I would imagine. Yes. Like it's yeah. not just, it's not just in Memphis proper, right? No, it's, it's all of Shelby County and a little bit of North Mississippi and a little bit of the rural counties outside of Shelby, but mm-hmm. yes, mainly Shelby County. So Creative Aging was founded in 2003. We've been around. This is our 20th year. We're really excited about that. Oh, congratulations. That's a big big banner year. Big deal. We bring music and arts programs to seniors at places they live and gather. I mean, that's the capsule, right? But what that really looks like on the ground is about 100 different locations where artists and musicians go to teach or perform. And and I want to add, this is very important, 100% of the people that teach or perform for us are paid. We are very generously supported by the Tennessee Arts Commission and Arts Memphis and other people who love the arts. So in addition to doing this work with seniors, I think we paid artists about $320,000 last year. So, Which is huge. I mean, as someone who works with a lot of artists, yeah. And <laughs> who, I, I mean, and as an artist in some capacity, you know, in some capacity, you know, you do it, you know, aside from your main nine to five, but a lot of times artists are taken for granted 
Yes. And it's like, oh, th- oh I, I love the, the spiel. Like, well, how about you come in here and it'll give you exposure? Oh, right. And it's right. like, no, well, exposure <laughs> doesn't help me put food on the table or exactly. pay my bills. Well, so it's huge that you're compensating. Of course we're compensating because artists do have to pay their bills. But the other side of that coin is we expect excellence. And we aren't just going to, to take the person who is going to work for free all the time. We, we want to take, we have trained professional artists. And so these folks are, they are dedicated to the arts. They are dedicated to pursuing their passion in music, art of, of whatever kind. And they're serious about, about really engaging the people that we serve. So, but back to the program. So we work with Memphis Public Libraries. We work with the Brooks. We work with the Dixon, Theater Memphis, Tennessee Shakespeare. I mean, the list goes on and on yeah. with the different arts organizations and about 120 individual artists and musicians that, that work with us. And so what we do is we go into what we call senior communities. We don't like to say facility. People yeah. say facility. It's so sterile and yeah, kind of... This is their this is, this is people's home or their club, so to speak. It's where they go and hang out with their friends. And it's a really special environment. So we go to locations where seniors live and gather. And we have musical performances. We have art classes that run about six weeks long. That are we have about forty one different courses that we offer. So yeah. it's all kinds of arts. It's you know painting and pottery and comparative literature classes. And oh wow! Dulcimer lessons and piano lessons. Right now at Tennessee Shakespeare, for example, we're doing an intensive, which is sort of our version of summer camp, where people are going for, you know, five days mm-hmm. and for three to four hours a day and really doing a deep dive yeah. into. Shakespeare performance, acting, understanding costumes, like really, but you know, what's so incredible about our classes, whether they come out as an intensive over a week or whether they run for six to eight weeks, you know, meeting two hours a week, the incredible community that people form, the connection that the participants make to one another is so amazing. I mean, I've had so many seniors. We get, of course, like any nonprofit, we get all kinds of evaluations and feedback and all this stuff. And it's uplifting to read what older adults say about this experience. You know, for example, this yeah. is the first time since the third grade that I've had so many new friends. I'm Somebody lo- wrote that. Like, and that's huge. It's huge. Because after you're not in a scholastic environment, it is famously difficult to form bonds with people who are who where there is a shared interest exactly. and not just like a shared space or because like, oh, our kids go to school together or what I mean, or we, you know, our neighbors, when you can form a bond around a shared interest and a shared skill that you are absorbing and you are practicing at the same time that is the kind of stuff that that that's what makes life worth living right i agree we we have a group that our our studio courses program started in 2019 so we're in our fifth year and we have a group that did it was called stories project at theater memphis so it was a storytelling and performance course they still go to lunch together they didn't know i mean here are 10 people who did not know each other, who were all over 70. And 
you know, I, I think that the idea that they could make new friends and new and uh, build a new community at that age mm-hmm. is novel to yeah. a lot of people. And of course it can be done. But, you know, you think about, I mean, I have three sons that are college age. So I'm around a lot of 18 to 25 year olds who are in that time in life where they are going somewhere and living with a group of people in community, but they can't wait. They can't wait to do it. And it's, as society would say, normal. I mean, it's part of the typical journey that everybody looks forward to, actually. It is a little different when you are 80 and you have been convinced to go live in community. And in fact, most people end up loving that, but it is very difficult to go live someplace with a lot of people that you don't know. And in some places, you know, in the very best of places, you have all these activities and things going on and a lot of stimulation. But a lot of the older adults that we engage live in a building that has zero activities, right? zero extracurricular, no planning of anything like that. So creative aging may be the only arts and cultural event that is going to be in their community in a if if we're lucky in a given week, but right. most likely probably the whole month. Right. You know, I mean it's it's really a great opportunity. People come out of their apartments, they come down to the community room. It gives them a reason to be in community, to feel like they belong and they're part of something. What do you think it is about creative work and you know, on the on Faithfully Memphis, we've had a lot of conversations with different artists, different creatives from all different media. What do you think it is about flexing those muscles that really lends itself to these kind of populations? I guess one of the things that I would imagine is that you're learning at the point in your life that you can learn new things. But off the air, you and I were talking a little bit about how maybe when Creative Aging was first founded, there wasn't necessarily a lot of the science around the neurological benefit to, to integrating this kind of program in, in the lives of older adults. Can you speak to how that's changed now and and what the what the tactile things that we're learning from the scientific community and the medical community around like what it is that makes this so integral to wellness for aging adults yeah so in i believe it was 2006 gene cohen with george washington university came out with a seminal paper on creative aging and the scientific beginning, I guess, of, of all this now reams of material that support what we're doing. But the idea that regular arts engagement, meaning not just once a year, but mm-hmm. on a regular basis, arts engagement improves older adults' health and well-being, that there, there are less falls, there are less hospitalizations, that there's less use of prescription medicine among people who regularly engage with the arts. And I think that if you go anywhere, I mean, 
you know, and common sense supports it too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how many of us have listened to, gone to a concert or gone to a museum or even just listened to one song on the radio and thought, okay, that just lifted my mood. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm ready. Let's go. You know, so I think that art opens us up and it's interesting as younger people, we have so many expectations around us and perhaps inhibitions about doing things that are different. That changes. And boy, um, is that the truth. Older adults really, you know, if they don't like a musician, they'll just get up and walk out. I mean, and it isn't really rude, but it's just like, you know what? I don't like this. I don't have to stay. I mean, they, they, they are just in control of what they really want. And there's an openness to exploring and, I think art helps us take risks and yeah. be vulnerable together. So when that happens, people really connect. Yeah. And, and that's that's where the community comes yeah, in. Yeah. When personally you do you I think that when you said that, you know, you had this career in law and in consulting work, that is a career path that supports those sort, I mean, as a, you know, former English major, you know, there was a, a brief moment in my own youth where, you know, pre-law was a blip on my radar, did not end up going in that direction. Thank God for everyone <laughs> who, but I, I remember that, and, and from my, you know, peers who have gone in that direction, those, that's a career path that does support living in those creative spaces Mm -hmm. before you worked in the like doing what you do now with creative aging did you have a particular affinity for creativity and art and and all that kind of stuff in your own life and well I've always enjoyed art and and I drag my family to every art museum I can possibly be near I played the piano as a girl for about eight years, but I'm sorry to say I'm not an artist. In fact, people ask me that all the time. Well, see, I feel like the fact that you just said you like going to art museums and you played the piano, I was like, yeah, well, yeah, you are. You are. I mean, we're all we're all creative beings. I think. But more my background is more relevant because I'm an advocate. Yeah. And what I'm doing, I mean, I read in in the paper today talking about the superintendent, you know, selection, you know, you don't necessarily have to have been a third grade teacher to be a good superintendent. Yeah. Well, you don't necessarily have to have been an artist yourself to appreciate the impact that it makes. And I get to see it every day. The people who walk in and they say, they hang their head. I'm not creative. Oh, yes, you are. Mm -hmm. We are all creative. And if painting isn't what, you know, excites you, come to comparative literature. If that's not interesting, go learn, go with Steve Lee, one of the greatest jazz musicians in this town, and learn to play the piano. And by the way, our classes are free. I didn't didn't say that. really? Yeah, and the supplies are provided. So it's really accessible. The only thing we charge, we haven't talked about all of our programs, but the only thing that we do charge $5 for is our events that we hold at Theater Memphis. We rent the theater from Theater Memphis and we have events about once a month. So we're doing, Theater Memphis is putting on Sister Act. Yeah, I saw, yes. For Creative Aging 
that will be next Wednesday, and I would love to say people should get tickets, but we put the tickets on sale 30 days in advance of all of our shows. They sold out. They were gone in seven hours. Wow. 400 wow. seats. Wow. And our next event after that is September 6th, Swing Time Explosion. Those That's a 17-piece brass band. They play at Lafayette's all the time. They're unbelievable. People love them. That sold out in about 24 hours. Wow. So people are really excited to go. And paying $5 is, I think people feel good about paying, making that small contribution because, of course, we pay the artists and we pay yeah. the theater as we should. Yeah. Uh, and we we want those organizations to continue. To continue so, on, yeah. Right. And and our, our participants want to support it. They're eager to do that. But the art classes are all free. Yeah. So how do people, how do you, if someone's listening right now and there's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this was a resource in Memphis and that I could be taking advantage of this. Or if someone's listening and saying, oh my gosh, this, I know that in her youth, my, my mother or my aunt or my uncle, I knew that they had this piece in their life, but you know, as they've you know aged or whatever, they have not had that creative spark in their life. How can I get them involved? Mm-hmm. How do people get involved? So our website is creativeagingmidsouth.org. And if you don't remember that, you can just Google Creative Aging Memphis. And it, I promise you we're the first thing that pops up because we're the only people mm-hmm. <laughs> in town doing this. But just sign up to get our emails. That's all you have to do. I wish we could afford to mail flyers to all 136,000 seniors Mm -hmm. who live in Memphis, but we cannot, and we don't have their address. But the emails really, really work. Whenever we have new classes, we we kind of offer classes once a quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, they they are near you. They are probably at a senior center, a library, or a museum near where you live or somewhere that you can get to. And you can sign up. I wish we had enough classes. I will say when those emails go out, the classes are typically full within a day. Yeah. We are working on growing. We yeah. grow all the time. We just, you know, the more the more we have financially, the more yeah. we can pay artists to teach because there is no shortage of artists who are interested in teaching or in places that are willing to let us use their space for art classes. Yeah. Because people love having the older adults come in. The artists love their older adult participants who are prepared, excited, paying attention. You know, all the things that most teachers would dream of. If someone in their organization wants to support your work, maybe not necessarily, like maybe a host site, or if they have you know resources that can they can lend or help you fundraise, how how can everybody else in the community support this? Which I would I would argue that when you pay into a certain when you invest in a certain an organization like Creative Aging, you are investing in your community because this promotes the wellness and the thriving of a much ignored population that you're you're absolutely right and in just a few years there will be more people in our city and our state and our country who are over 65 than there are under 18 and I have to make this argument with institutions all the time that that say well you can't you know we don't have space we don't have room we have this that going on I'm like okay we we love children we love I have three children 
We are not asking you to take away all the resources from the children, but give just a little to this huge group Mm -hmm. that are soon going to be larger than your group of under 18 year olds. I mean, I mean, there are so many people who benefit from arts engagement. So we encourage people in the community to volunteer their time to give their treasure. We would love to continue reaching more people more often and it's simply a a function of money there are so many incredible organizations that do support us and i'm very grateful to them i mean federal express thank you very much this year is a wonderful sponsor through their program with arts memphis the first horizon foundation also an incredible sponsor campbell clinic methodist hospital Edward Jones Investments. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee. I mean, there are so many individuals who give and support what we do. And you know what? The thing that you can do that's free is advocate for the health and wellness of older adults in our community. Encourage people that you know who are over 65 to Check out what's going on at their public library with a potential class to ask, to get involved, to sign up on our website. Yeah. Um, we'd love to have, have you. Come on. I have one more question for you, and this is how we end most of our conversations on Faithfully in Memphis. And I think I know how you're going to answer it. Mia, what is, what is giving you hope today when you look at Memphis and you look at this population of people who are typically ignored or you know marginalized and and the role that your organization is playing in their lives what what gives you hope for what's next i'm gonna i'm gonna steal something from a a recent blurb that i heard from the life matters by dr scott morris which is gratitude is what gives me hope because i am so grateful for the arts community in Memphis. I am so grateful for the way that it gives and supports the people of this town. I'm so grateful for everything that is going right with the arts and for all of the wonderful, inspired, alive, dynamic, vibrant older adults that we get a chance to come into contact with. I love it. I love it. Nia Henley, thank you so much for being on Faithfully Memphis. Thank you. And we'll have all the information about how people can get engaged on our podcast. So if y'all want to find Faithfully Memphis, wherever you listen to podcasts, I'll put all of Creative Aging's info in the show notes. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Emily Austin for the Episcopal Church in West Tennessee. And thank you so much for listening to Faithfully Memphis today. I want to especially thank Mia Henley from Creative Aging in Memphis for being our guest. You can listen to past episodes of Faithfully Memphis on our podcast where it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could, please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts because that helps us to get the word out about our show to people who might be interested. I want to thank WYXR for being our Crosstown Radio home. Thank you so much, WYXR. We are so appreciative of you. And until next week, I invite you to stay safe and stay positive. Bye.